I am Matt. I'm Annie. And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it Still Great Bob? This week we're discussing Season 4, Episode 3, The Good News, written by Jonathan Abrams and Matthew Weiner, and directed by Jen Forgetzinger. This episode originally aired August 8th, 2010. The hit movies that week. In the number one spot, we have The Other Guys, new that week. Inception, at number two, which was last week's number one. And the third movie this week is a new movie on the box office chart. It is Step Up 3D. The hit song that week is still Love the Way You Lie, Eminem featuring Rihanna. I just realized I'm still living in 2010. <laughs> this is still... <laughs> These are still my cultural like touchstones, touchstones yeah. and what I assume the youths are listening to and watching right now. Yes, every youth loves Inception. Me. Oh. This week on Mad Men, so this is the new year, and no one feels any different. That is highly relatable. Well, friends, we're back. Yay. <laughs> yeah, we are. This episode has been a roller coaster. Oh my god. We were all gonna be together. You we were gonna have a guest. I wasn't gonna be here. It was maybe gonna be Matt and a guest for one hot minute, but here we are, just the original three. Yeah. At some point you guys would have had me after three night shifts in a row. That would have been very exciting. For no one. <laughs> no one. <laughs> I wish that like we could like go into the Spider-Verse and like hear all the versions of this episode between the scheduling challenges we've had um technical difficulties with recording and scheduling and everything else but uh moral of the story is we're here now disappointed that uh the guest that we had for earlier versions of this podcast wasn't able to uh be here today but we'll definitely have them on at a later date and the nice thing is dear listeners that we all get to benefit from our guest julia who you'll hear hopefully in a future episode because a lot of what we're talking about in our notes that were structured julia actually put a lot of of time and effort are actually her thoughts there so we do want to give a special shout out to to julia before we dive into the discussion of this episode because definitely some of her thoughts will come out in the prep work and the show notes as as a contributor to this episode so thank you julia yeah, this episode is definitely um, dedicated to her. <laughs> yes. Yeah, or I guess we could just take all the credit. <laughs> Real Don Draper of it. All right, so the good so news. This episode. <laughs> did we did we want to start with with Joan and kind of the B plot with Joan, and then we can get into kind of the the A plot with with Don and Lane's kind of our our third lead in this episode, and kind of. He's, encounters he's like both the, the a plot thread. yeah it's the connective tissue between the a plot and the b plot for sure him and his big texas belt buckle yeah if we're being honest i would always love to beginning begin and end with jones so <laughs> so we i think it's jones first scene we see her with i can't remember his name but it's it's the actually her gynecologist who we've we saw i believe played by Remy Aubergenois in the pilot of Mad Men when Peggy gets her her birth control and Joan sends her there. And it's actually like a really interesting scene and like you can see in kind of their familiarity that they have there. And it's just also really interesting because like 
the gynecologist here seems because he has that rapport with Joan and that shared history and they have that kind of comfort with each other that he seems like a really solid guy. Oh, his name here, his first name is Walter. Thank, thank you, Julia, for having yes. that in the notes. Um, he calls her Jojo. She calls him Walter. And it just seems like a really kind of familiar experience. But then I'm contrasting that back to when Peggy was first there and like the warmth from Dr. Walter wasn't there as well. So I think that's kind of interesting and we see... And I think this also ties in kind of thematically with some of the Joan and Lane stuff is mm-hmm. like, and what we've talked about with Joan before is how men see Joan and like the role that she plays, that she's assigned by society because of how she looks and the way she acts to kind of, you know, try to survive the reality of, of life and, and human existence and stuff there. Um, yeah. What did, what did we think of the, the gynecologist scene? So this is the same actor and doctor from that first episode with with um, with Peggy, uh, which is I did have to look up, but it, he did seem familiar. So immediately his like familiar, warm rapport with Joan, I am I did not trust it. I mean, also, again, I've mentioned before, I have a certain bias against doctors, many great doctors that I've met um, who are also great people. But um, I am generally skeptical of everyone until they prove themselves but well yeah and this dude sucked when he saw peggy yeah 100 percent. so i really like um i really like this scene uh for joan and i like the stuff that it's like you know i like the scene i'm glad it's here but i think that this is kind of a retcon of Mm -hmm. that doctor because this scene serves like Mm -hmm. kind of a i don't exactly remember everything about this season one scene and i think it's in the first episode even so that was a minute ago so i apologize um but i think before she slept with with p yeah i think that um these scenes are like trying to show us two kind of opposite things about these women so they just make this doctor be like a completely different person or maybe he was just having a bad day that one time he saw peggy because joan has been seeing this doctor for a while she recommended him to peggy and then he like was kind of a dick to peggy so maybe he doesn't like new people maybe he was having an off day i mean it doesn't really matter but i thought that was kind of funny i Yes, definitely 100% different than when he was with Peggy. My, I, I, it, it could have been clearer, but I was wondering if this was because Peggy was like a young girl who could be corrupted and who's obviously, obviously just going to use it to have sex with like unmarried sex. And Joan is like this older, more maternal figure who has sent a lot of people to him and gotten him business. And now she's married. So it's legitimate. Mm-hmm. Now it's fine. Now she's doing as she's supposed to be doing, getting married and trying to have a baby. Yeah. And it almost seems like he is like encouraging her to have a baby sooner rather than later, which is like annoying, but definitely of the time. Um, How old is I she supposed thought- to be? 35-ish? She was 33 in, like, season one or season two. Whatever. Was it season two that that her and uh, Paul were having that little, like, when they're competitive over Sheila after the party with the typewriter? I think that was season two. Or was it season three? I think so. I don't remember. I this is, this is uh, Yeah. So, like, that was when, when Paul, like, photocopied her 
well, it was implied that Paul most likely, allegedly, don't sue me, um, Paul Kinsey, um, as if you're a real person, <laughs> um, but copied her um, driver's license, and I think she was 33. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I forgot. So that she'd be like, too. so she'd be like mid 30s now. She'd be like, if that was season two, that was 61. So she'd be like. 35 or 36 now i think well we're late 64 that was 61 so yeah yeah so being in that particular age range i can tell you we are considered at this age like high-risk geriatric pregnancies so get on that joan i guess i don't know it's terrible (laughs) uh yeah i mean in at the same time i did appreciate the 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 more caring nod creepy bedside manner but also this is not the only time we are gonna see someone who is terrible have good bedside manner mm, yes. in this mm. episode yes yeah. these doctors can pull it out when they need to um i did think that the discussion that they had about jones procedures was interesting um i really liked that well I guess I can't say that I liked it because I wish that, like, reproductive health was more comprehensive so that Joan wouldn't have had to ask this question. But she was worried that because she had had abortions before that she would have problems conceiving now. And so she asked her doctor about it. And I love to see someone, um, and in this instance, Joan, like, take control of their health in that way. And she's unashamed by it, which is also amazing because even in 2021, I know that – Still there's a lot of there's a lot of shame that can still be mm-hmm. um, involved when someone talks about the choices they've made for their reproductive health. So I thought that that was refreshing to see. I think that the doctor handled it pretty well. Um, yeah, agreed. Yeah. And abortion is such a I was actually kind of surprised to see it addressed so frankly in the show that I think sometimes handles um I can't think of the word that I'm looking for, like social issues. I don't know. I don't really think that abortion fits in that. But you know what I mean? Like controversies, uh, political issues, like all those things that I don't personally think that abortion should be, but that just are in society because Mad Men is sometimes clunky handling that stuff. I was kind of surprised at how smooth I thought this scene was. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Um and I guess that probably also leads into, like, the tension uh, between... Wait, does she go straight to the office after this? Okay. Yeah, because she's implementing her, like, baby plans, which is get off birth control, ask her doctor these questions, get the A-OK, and then get her vacation sorted out so that she can have the time to make a baby with her shitty husband. <laughs> Look, <laughs> so she's just checking things off her list. She uh, goes to handle the whole schedule the vacation thing. And this is where this is where a wrench gets thrown into Joan's plans, mm-hmm. which like requesting PTO still such a minefield these days. Yeah, I typed a lot of my notes in all caps <laughs> about this. Um. I was really, I'm really, I mean, I'm really surprised at this behavior from Lane, kind of, 
Um, he's being a real dick, which is not something he, I think, just does normally. And then throughout the episode, we kind of find out why. Not that that's an excuse, but it's like everybody in this office is like, you know how some offices bring in like puppies for people to pet? (laughs) 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 They need to take it like a step further and they need to bring in like a traveling therapist to see all of these people. (laughs) Oh, to say the least and maybe extend that (laughs) to their family. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Um, because yeah, Lane and Joan are butting heads in this episode. It's, it's interesting character wise for both of them, but it was like kind of surprising. I thought that I felt that it came, I mean, I did, I felt like it came out of nowhere a little bit. I'm like, Jesus Lane, what's the big deal? Like you're basically forcing Joan to apologize for asking to take time off when she, for all the, for all that you understand about Joan's life, she came out of retirement to run this office for you. And this is what you're going to do. Especially this is, this comes right after we hear, um, some of the boys in the office make jokes about how Harry's basically been dicking around in LA for most of the year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he can turn a bunch of trips to LA into work. But when Joan wants to take time off because her husband has a fixed schedule, she can't. And like for Lane to be like, well, why don't you ask Greg how he would feel if a nurse wanted to take time off? And I'm like, I don't think the doctors do the scheduling. You <laughs> condescending prick. And it's, and like, yeah. And like, I think it, it in some ways where it feels out of character for Lane is because like, Elaine, Lane, Elaine. No, this isn't a Seinfeld hey. podcast. Elaine, the Lane, our Lane. Um, this is the first time we've seen more of Lane. Now it's like, you know, episode three of season four. Lane's more than just kind of a, a presence. He's he's a partner in the agency. So, like, we're getting to know him a little bit more and explore him a bit more. And again, we find out, like we've alluded to over the course of the episode, the, you know, relationship stress that he's under there. But it's just so, I think, rings true to life, unfortunately, that like when he's under pressure, he then lashes out at Joan. And what does he reach for is misogyny, right? Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. like we haven't seen to this point in the series Lane be the type of ladies' man, man's man, man about town Lothario that we've seen some of the other men in the office of Sterling Cooper Draper Price be. But as soon as he's under pressure and stressed, and Lane co- or, and sorry, Joan comes into Lane to to ask for something, and like I think too, Joan knows knows her place. She knows how you know men view her, and you know I'm gonna offer to get you breast or thigh chicken for for lunch or whatever, and bring that in to kind of like almost soften him up for the ask about the PTO, but he's angry and he like doubles down on it and she's like excuse me and then he like doubles down and says that comment and then it just he's like he does reach into that that misogynist misogynist toolbox and it's just really mm-hmm. jarring because we haven't seen Lane do that and I think it's really il- illustrative of how most people are then like culpable in perpetuating things like patriarchy because even if it's like oh no like hashtag i'm a feminist this is what a feminist looks like look at my sock i have a shirt that says feminist justin Trudeau. um but still like Mm -hmm. when they're they're under pressure they're gonna reach on kind of that you know societal upbringing and and that that hate and that inequality in an in an attempt to retain power and like ultimately Mm -hmm. put joan in her place well, and like, yeah. how stupid do you look, Lane, when you make this comment about like, oh, I'm not the type to be, you know, dizzy and powerless around you when it's like, 
Are you trying to say that the reason that Joan is successful is because men can't refuse her when it's like, again, your little adv- your little experiment having an agency of your own would be nothing without Joan. <laughs> nothing. Like, I don't want to be the Lane apologist because we know how much I love Lane. Because, I, like you guys are saying, it's so unbelievably unexpected, out of nowhere, seemingly out of character for Lane, partly because we don't know his character by this point. I don't think the show clearly draws enough of a line between the fact that he is having a problem with a woman that he is attached to um, Mm -hmm. and is taking out on this woman who has who appears to have control over her life when he seems to have no control over his and like the holiday itself seems to be like a specific nerve because his wife because because their argument Mm -hmm. later on we learn was related to the holidays and where they're going to be and stuff i don't think the show is as clear with it because you find it out like so much farther along the Mm -hmm. episode that you it's it takes some work to remember you know connect the threads lane is terrible in that moment and it is very telling that in his moment of helplessness against a woman essentially his partner in life um he takes it out on one of the most powerful women in his Mm -hmm. work life and i think it's so interesting to see Joan be like you know be like excuse me you know the the level at which she immediately goes to to that much disrespect because most most things she can brush off but there's something about when Lane does it and then later on with the flowers she just yeah. like she's like I'm I wonder not taking if, this shit I wonder if Joan gets so upset with Lane about this because this is this is a a very standard like trick in the mail bag to Mm -hmm. pull this crap but he's never done it before so it's like more jarring because I mean (laughs) I have had men in my life who I love and respect who I know love and respect me um get you know thrown into a blind rage by me and then call me a bitch and it's like you're just lazy (laughs) like that is just laziness and this is why the patriarchy hurts all of us because Mm -hmm. These men in my life who have done it to me and you and every girl and Joan, like the lanes of the world, all the men of the world are not taught resources to deal with their feelings. Like, yeah, and Lane especially- has no idea how to handle being upset with a woman because mm-hmm. no one has ever told him that it's OK to have a feeling and <laughs> deal with it in a constructive manner. Well, on top of it, he's British and they I don't have feelings say- at all. He's especially repressed because of that. Well, you're in New York now, baby. I know. Well, and also, his secretary was also a man, so we can presume that a lot of the um, subservience where he came from are also men. So, perhaps, he's also just not used to being around that many women. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't... Again, it's not clear what it was like where he came from, other than how his um, former superiors treated him, but like... mm. Get in touch with your feelings and then like maybe don't be so gross later on either. Because when you see him finally relax later, it's Yeah, Lane's getting really caught up in the um, man's man, man about towning of of the old Big Apple here. um, Concrete jungle where jeans are made of. (laughs) Yeah. But I am... I wonder if maybe Lane is going to feel a little sad about the events of this episode and maybe do some things different going forward. Maybe, but before before we get there, Julie has a really good note in here that I would like to read verbatim. 
um, okay. if we can, about the flower okay. scenes specifically. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because we definitely need to talk about that. Yeah. So, so what Julia's note says is, Joan and Lane's scenes with the flowers is one of my favorites in the whole show. Joan says that Lane makes her feel, quote, like a helpless, stupid little girl, end quote, because she can't control him with her sexuality, question mark. <clears throat> and it's, it speaks to Joan's paradoxical high and low opinion of herself, depending on the day. Then, when Joan and Lane both gang up on the incompetent Sandy for the flower fuck-up, the balance of power is restored, and Joan saves herself from humiliation. Shame it's always done at the expense of another woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, I hated that Joan had to lose her shit like this mm-hmm. although I do typically like when people lose their <laughs> shit in a like very self-righteous way or like just like I like to see people get to the bottom of the thing you know she says like you make me feel helpless and stupid which is like one of the worst things nobody wants to feel that way especially at work so I'm like, I, this sucks that this had to happen, but it's like, you're never going to feel better than this moment <laughs> when you finally said the thing. Um, I'm really annoyed that they fired Sandy because like this motherfucker Lane didn't even write his own apology. He didn't <laughs> even know what they said. <laughs> so it's like, how much are you paying this woman to uh, fix your marriage? Definitely not enough. <laughs> I love that actually Jane, uh, that Joan does say does fully own up to like you made me feel like a helpless stupid yeah. little girl because that is so hard to admit and it makes her I feel like so much more powerful in that moment against him being so clear um but yeah I really because he is so much more in it from her perspective it is so much more inconsistent where he'll just suddenly be really angry and try to weaponize her own sexuality and power against her but then the rest of the time he's like demure um repressed British man who doesn't even notice her and then in the next moment he seems to be wooing her with flowers and trying to like you know court her to for her um for her affection because he knows how much power she has in the office that kind of thing so I loved it and I do do hate that she does you know regain power quote unquote by putting herself on the same side as Lane against this other this other woman who like, it's true. It probably was just the 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 flat florist's fault. Um, just thinking out loud here in terms of Joan stepping into her her feelings and acknowledging how Lane made her feel like a feel like a stupid helpless little girl. And we were talking a little bit earlier about a lot of Lane's angst and feelings coming from um the fight that he's having with Rebecca about the holidays and New York versus England and and et cetera et cetera. Later, when Greg and Joan are celebrating Hawaiian New Year's, because Greg had to work on on the holiday, and she very, like, um, tragically, like, very deeply, very nastily, cuts her own, her own finger, she wants to go, she doesn't want, she, like, says, isn't there some, like, rule against operating on your wife? Like, she kind of doesn't want greg to operate on her or like sew up the do the stitches and he ends up doing it and then when he gives her like i don't know any was that like uh some kind of like painkiller is that what the the shot was or a local anesthetic or something like that yeah what? look like is i assume the local anesthetic the local when, he, when he's giving her the needle for that 
he pulls the same thing he does. It's like where like on its face, it feels like it's supposed to be a cute moment, or at least Greg thinks it's a cute moment, where like he's like, Hey, look over there and then like sticks her with the needle and it's like, Oh, I normally save that one for kids. And it's like, yeah, that's what Greg wants to do, and that's where Greg feels powerful. But then it's Greg feeling powerful at the sense of like his wife cutting open his fi- her finger, right? So, oh, hello, Ellie. The dog just broke into the room because Francis went out. Um, I guess I'm just curious though. Do you think that like Joan also has some of those parallels that Lane had too? And that's why she uh... like threw the flowers back at him. I do think so, because he is infantilizing her in that moment, which admittedly sometimes you have to do with people who are bleeding and can't totally think straight. But um, but he also throws in the whole, like, you know, this to me, this performing surgery is just like filing papers for you. You know, the the comparison is so uneven and so dismissive. And she automatically defends herself with, you know, I have people who do that for me. Yes, I don't do that anymore. Which, and you also that. don't do surgery anymore, Greg, so kick rocks. <laughs> uh, I really do hate this, like, weird, not weird, this almost sudden rehabilitation of Greg as a character being, <laughs> it's this whole, oh, but he has such good bedside manner, he's such a good doctor, even though he's a terrible human. Look, again, I'm very biased against this kind of personality. I have dealt with such assholes who are the ter- most terrible people in surgery who've like thrown things and yell and had to go to anger management at worse. Jesus. Uh, and then they turn on their- and they tell you, you know, like they'll be, <laughs> they'll be a pediatric such and such of dealing with incredibly critical cases where they are literally, you know, seconds away from life and death probably with, uh, and, and, will be the most amazing person when it comes to talking to children and treating them and their bedside care and helping their parents feel relaxed and cared for. But, you know, the I find that separation to be slightly sociopathic. Um, so I have very little trust in Greg and this, like, sweet, competent, caring, um, paternalistic human that he's being in this moment, even though... It clearly does sort of work on Joan, I think. Yeah, but every time Joan does something nice for Greg, it literally gives me acid reflux. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me so mad. Like, she's doing this whole cute, like, celebrate New Year's thing in Hawaii. Like, I... No one deserves you, Joan. Genuinely no one. Maybe Peggy. (laughs) But, yeah... Yeah, so maybe like somewhere inside she's kind of sensitive to to being treated like she's just some dumb thing that can be wooed and and seduced with a little kindness and that way that society infantilizes women, even adult competent women like Joan. Yeah, I'm just I've said it before and I'll say it again like the longer this show allows Greg to continue to share air with Joan, um, the more mad I get and the more I think that Mad Men, the show, hates women, <laughs> which is kind of dramatic, but I just hate Greg so much. Um, there is sometimes a, a general um, a general tone of like, women are so interesting and complicated like humans. It's almost like they're people. Well, 
It's interesting when you Look say how that. How complex she is keeping this fucking shithead around. Yeah, they're. Hmm. Go ahead. Or it's just a general every every human is terrible and horrible, and we should just accept it. It's like a weird form of equality of like, yeah, I guess women are just as complex and horrible as men. I don't know. I kind of want. I know we've I've talked about before of like comparing my affinity for Joan to my affinity for, and again. They're very, in some ways, they're similar characters, I think. I've talked about on the pod before, but also I don't think Joan is anywhere near as unscrupulous and villainous as Cersei Lannister is. But I kind of want Joan to go all, like, Reigns of Castamere, Red Wedding on Greg at some point. That'd be, I would enjoy. That would be. I would like to see it. I would like to see it. I have sexual feelings about that idea. (laughs) We'll leave it at that. Um... (laughs) Speaking of sexual feelings, do we want to talk about Dick Whitman and his shorts? Oh, always. Oh, my God. That is unfair, and I like it. Talk about the just Dick Whitman doing household chores, getting high. Somebody come get me. Just taking care of your shit without being asked. Matching colors. Ooh, can I just say, this was in one of my bits and bobs, but not only was the Dick Whitman and shorts aesthetically pleasing, just Anna's general style from that color of green with the mid-century modern with a touch of like not culturally appropriate of tiki tropical happening. <sighs> Perfection. I'm screen capping it, you guys. Yeah. With Dick Whitman. Yeah. Nice. In shorts. Okay, continue. We 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 love a mid-century manic pixie dream mom, don't we? She's she's everything I want to be, aside from the <laughs> You know, <laughs> being riddled with tumors. Yeah, no, not 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 a great time. Not a great time. <laughs> oh, and the having a platonic long-term relationship with a handsome man that I have no obligations to, but who just randomly fixes things around the house for me. That sounds ideal too. The actual dream. <laughs> the actual the dream. actual dream. Oh boy. Um, before we get super into Anna, which we are definitely going to, I just want to note that like. Um, Allison, Don's secretary, and Don seem to have kind of smoothed out their relationship, and we don't see that happen on screen, but I just am guaranteeing you that it is just mostly Allison doing all of the work to let this relationship continue to function in the office. So, shout out Allison. I a hundred... <laughs> I sadly agree. Don <laughs> just pretend telling himself, everything's fine, you know, it wasn't even a big deal to begin with. He's just going to rationalize this into a way that's just going to make him seem like he did nothing wrong. Uh, yeah and her group her group chat is definitely sick about hearing this so she had to get over it because her friends were like hey listen (laughs) we're not talking about this in the group chat again (laughs) quit or shut up yep (laughs) um yeah so i was kind of surprised that anna's family knew him even as well as they did kind of um and I don't know why that was surprising to me because we knew already that Anna like really loved him but I think that just like reinforced the strength of their relationship mm-hmm. yeah that her family is just like not even surprised to see him at all um maybe a little grumpy but <laughs> you know Patty just isn't cool so yeah well because we're so used to Don Draper who tells no one anything and Betty, who knows nothing and whose family knows even less and disapproves of this mysterious stranger who doesn't treat her as well as a human should be treated. 
So to have Don actually be part of a healthy relationship, albeit a platonic one, and actually be able to extend that affection to her family, as tense as it is, it's very strange. Yeah, we never really get to see Don just hanging out. Yeah. Does it bother you guys? Like, it, it, I think it bothers me. Does it bother you to see that he can be this person among other people, this loving, caring, open person? I mean, we find out later, you know, he ends up keeping a secret from a really big secret from Anna to quote, unquote, protect her, but not in the way where he's like hiding himself in shame from the rest of his people. Like, this is him just being a part of a family. Yeah. yeah. It's... Go ahead, Matt. No, I was just gonna because I'm going back to kind of some of the structure and some of the things that like Julia had in the notes, then I had in the notes, and like it's really easy for me to assume that this state of like Don slash Dick with Anna is the most authentic version of Dick slash John Dick slash Don. Um but like I don't but is that then me giving him too much credit and it's like what I want for him is that kind of life and being able to kind of connect with his feelings and like be seen and be validated in those ways that are are healthy and supportive and then kind of giving those back. Like Anna says to him, I know everything about you and I still love you. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, Annie, as you say, that like Don slash Dick is also not telling her about what you know that her Anna's diagnosis and things like that and it's just like so like do we think then that Don slash Dick that Dick is actually Dick with Anna and that's who he is or is that just another hat or another role that he's playing Hmm. is that another room yeah like um like is it equal to to Don why is who he is as Dick even platonically with Anna. Why is that also not enough? Why did he end up... How, like, none of his lives seemed to have been enough for him. He still cultivated this, like, almost picturesque life uh, that he has on the side, despite the supposed dream that he'd managed to achieve on the other side. And in a lot of ways, it's super tragic, but it's... (laughs) It's really frustrating, dude. Like, you're trying to fill a void that no one else could fill for you. Yeah, and I do think this is the closest that he gets. I really liked the <clears throat> I liked the moments when Dick and Anna talked about Betty. Like actually having the camera on John Ham's face when he's like, I could tell that the minute that she saw who I really was, that she never wanted to look at me again, which is like so sad, but I don't think it's because of who you are. I mean, I think it's because of who you are because you turned yourself into a liar, but it's not because of who you are. If you would just be like your truest self, I don't know if any of that is making sense, but um, I just thought I'm glad that I'm just really glad that he at least got to have this like debrief relationship with someone who does know everything about it because Anna was like, did you think that she wasn't going to be mad? Like (laughs) this wasn't like a small deal. And he said like, oh, I had it coming, which I feel, oh, I felt so bad for Don in that moment. And I didn't even want to. 
but I did a little <laughs> bit. Um, and I'm just glad that that was in there. Like, I'm glad to know that somewhere in some some relationship that feels safe to Don, he can, mm. in not as many words, be like, man, I fucked it up. And also in that moment where he admits that, like, you know, what he's always been afraid of is Betty looking at him like that, you also can't help but think, if he just told her very early on, probably could have avoided that look entirely. I changed my identity to get out of war is not unforgivable. Yes. I mean, some of the circumstances kind of are, but if that's all that the sentence was, it would be like, okay, <laughs> I mean... If that's not the kind of thing you can admit in your relationship, maybe it's not the right relationship. Not that it's yeah, the wrong person. I mean, maybe you're just both not in the right place, but like, I think maybe. I think the line oh. he says is like, it's such a small thing compared to how long it went on. And Anna's like, I mean, honey. You- <laughs> I love Anna so much. I oh my really, God, me too. She's so great. And I really love who he is actually when he's with her, even though like even though it occurred to me all of a sudden oh yeah i mean maybe we've had this revelation before but this is just who he is when he loves and respects someone that he's not trying to sleep with because we see bits of this with him with peggy too and he's not incredible you're like wow so because for some reason the sleeping with and the love and respect thing uh they're kind of mutually exclusive in Don's world. I mean, he loved Betty, probably still loves Betty, but it was almost um, an obsessive, uh, almost like a fan kind of love, I think, or mm-hmm. not the kind of love that he expresses for someone like your Peggy or your Anna's. And that's sad on a lot of levels. I loved um, Anna's niece, Stephanie. Stephanie's cool. Um, I like all the characters in Mad Men who bring the drugs. That's just <laughs> um, But I loved her, like, whole attitude with Don the whole time. Like, when he was like, oh, well, I don't see you, you know, not buying things. And she's like, don't think that's not possible. <laughs> like, Stephanie will literally just stop consuming all goods just to spite Don Draper. Well, she thinks it's Dick Boone, but yeah, and I love that about mm. her. But more um, on a more, like, serious or thematic note, she says this line to him in the car where she's like nobody knows what's wrong with themselves but everyone else can see it right away and i'm like don is like oh me i think you can see me (laughs) i think that line hurt all of us it yeah i mean it definitely hurt all of us and it made me think of um no one likes to think that they're you know just one of a type um season four of Mad Men is about like do not perceive me <laughs> that's like the tagline which I relate to too much yeah, I was gonna say I remember think... how I told you season four was my favorite season it's a good uh, season. <laughs> <laughs> no one perceive anyone uh which is uh, a pretty good theme for the entire show uh the only thing I don't like about Stephanie and I'm not saying that this didn't happen because a hundred percent did is when uh Dick was asking if she was sitting in or whatever protesting it's called asking her if she was sitting in and she said someone has to go to class i mostly don't like it not because it's inaccurate but because it is accurate there were a lot of people who were like yeah i totally agree with what the protesters are doing but i'm gonna just live my life but also 
nobody has to go to class. That's a scam. That is also a scam. And hey, I went to Kent State where students were shot for protesting. And one of the kids who got killed was just walking to class and not protesting. So, uh, yeah, good luck with that, kid. Okay, you might as well do the thing. Do the thing. Just do the thing. Again, I like it's a good moment, but I hate it. Yeah. (laughs) When they're in the car. Um, and Don is dropping Stephanie off and he just has that smile on his face that like, I'm feeling relaxed and the charm is at 10. going to lean in and just start like massaging your neck totally innocently. And she's like, what are you doing? I don't know. You know what you're doing, Don Draper. You're being Don Draper. You're so beautiful. You're so young. You're so young. It's like instinctual. It's just like, it's a mode he falls into. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not good, but it's just like. It's just so gross. Yeah. It's like they left the house and he was like, Dick Whitman, who? I'm Don Draper, (laughs) baby. But Stephanie, knowing exactly how to pour cold water on that situation. Hey, by the way, Anna has cancer. She's going to die. Ugh. Um, That's one way of getting out of that conversation. But uh, also, what the hell? Why would you do this to my heart? We yeah, love Anna. Is, well, yeah, that and Don Dick loves Anna, too. So this is, like, horrible for everyone involved. But, you know, he found out that she was sick and he was like, I'm not going to Acapulco. I'm staying here with you. And I was just, like, you know, in a puddle being like, oh, my God, he didn't even run away. He's painting the walls. <laughs> He's painting the walls. He's... He's doing what he's supposed to do and be there. Yeah, not running. It's something. Um, Quality time and acts of service is love. <laughs> yeah. And um, as sad as it is, I think that Anna's family is making bad choices. Mm. Um, but I guess that's between them. Um, I think that it is somewhat uh can be seen as uh character development for don that he decides to respect her family's decision and he leaves um he tells her like i thought i could stay but i can't um he doesn't blow up this thing that her family's got going on and tell her and i just think that that is some growth because i think that there is an alternative universe where whatever Don Draper had decided was correct in his mind is the only path forward, no matter who and what got destroyed in that path. So I, it was very sad to see him leave. I think what they're doing to Anna is wrong, but I was like proud of him for leaving without telling her Mm -hmm. instead of being like, well, I'm Don Draper. I'm right you're all wrong. We're going to do the thing my way and you guys can deal with the fallout because, you know, I'm me. Mm -hmm. And he likes being the self-righteous knight in shining armor. Yeah. But he's letting the women make their own choices and respecting them. Ooh, weird. I know. (laughs) I don't know if I I like it because it's so unusual for him. Obviously, I like it, but also, whoa. (sighs) So, Don... I just want to say, I think I tweeted about this the other day when I was, or earlier today when I was rewatching the episode again. 
when Don starts to paint over the um, water stain on the wall, mm-hmm. he does the roller first and doesn't cut in to do the edging first. That's bold. Yeah, no tape. Just no, no tape. No, doesn't even cut in at first. He cuts in after he rolls. It's like, dude, you're playing with fire, boy. I mean, that is done. That is done. Good character choice, I guess. <laughs> and it's something I wouldn't have even noticed. I hadn't repainted my bedroom and bathroom like a couple months ago. But there you go. All right. So Don chooses not to go to Acapulco. He's going to stay. Paints. They do that nice little Dick and Anna 64 sign. Don, dis- signature. Don leaves, goes to the office because what else is a divorced guy going to do on New Year's when he cancels his Acapulco trip? He's going to hang out Make in the bad office. Choices. And who else is in the office? It's Lane. Uh, I hate this part. <laughs> Wait, so Annie, are you saying that dudes do not in fact rock or that dudes rock or when dudes rock, you don't like when dudes rock? I am going to abstain from answering <laughs> explicitly, but I feel like I'll let my feelings known accidentally. <laughs> uh. <sighs> There's a lot of dudes rocking in the back half of this episode, wasn't there? <laughs> it is so, dude. We go from extreme female gaze, Dick Whitman in his shorts, just doing housework without being asked, to this. This. They're sharing My booze. least favorite lane. They're sharing booze. I will never go to a comedy show with anyone again without telling them that they are not allowed to participate. (laughs) Like, I did not think that this is something that had to be spoken, but it's like, if you get me called out in a comedy show, I won't be a friend anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Also, why are you sitting so close to the front with your legs parted open and your cigarette in your hand looking like you do not belong there? Oh boy! I did think that the bit was funny. I didn't catch it the first time I watched the episode, but in rewatching it right before we recorded this this morning, um, at first Lane offers Don his sandwich in the fridge. It says it's not big, and then they start talking, and we find out why Lane is. Like we talked before why Lane's still there, and they start drinking. And then when they're picking what movie to go to, Don is eating the sandwich. <laughs> nice continuity. Yeah, it's a nice bit. Nice bit um yeah so they go to a movie they start drinking the office they go to a movie um they go out to the they go to to a nice dinner they've been drinking in the hallway they play with their food um lane is looking for divorce advice from john from don and don respectfully declines implying that last time he talked about relationships with a co-worker roger left mona and then they go to the club and cabaret and like, you know what? Like there's a lot of toxicity here going on. It's not great, but admittedly my pandemic era self would love to go to the movies, have a dinner out and then go to a club slash cabaret. So like with a little racism thrown in for fun, not with the racism. I just wanted listeners. I want to be explicit <laughs> that my jonesing for like the non pandemic era does not include racism or using stakes as Texas belt buckles. But those are not equal things either. I'm just going to stop talking now. <laughs> I'm sorry, Matt. That was funny. I'm not sorry. Um, 
Yeah, I'm, uh, and and Julia puts it here nicely, you know, saying Don's a black hole of a person at this point, though I guess there's little harm in the 1960s of having a bros night out with some steak and movies and call girls, but he's technically seducing Lane to the vice under the guise of, um, to vice, excuse me, under the guise of what Lane calls welcome distraction. Was this what Lane needed or was it what Don needed? I'm leaning towards the latter. Um, because Don has always been so good at appearing like the... The epitome of the ma American male dream, you know, even though he's gone through a divorce and everything, he still seems so put together and like he knows what's what. He just got out of a situation that didn't make him happy. So, of course, Lane, who, as we've discussed, not great with processing things uh, or letting things out thinks that this is exactly the way to deal with this, with separation and being a single man in America who's successful. I don't like this line, guys. Yeah, I think that this is um, a precipice. Although I think that the men on the show are at precipices all the time and then nothing happens, so what the fuck do I know? Sorry, I kept thinking you were using the word prepuce, which is a penis <laughs> term. I Sorry. don't like that. But it's also I'm gonna appropriate. It, though, oh, it means foreskin. <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I ruined your metaphor. But that's all I could just hear of just like, no, that's don't don't do that, Rain. Uh yes. <laughs> Precipice lane. Not not that other other thing. Precipice. <laughs> Okay. Great podcast, guys. <laughs> We're all fine here now. How are you? Um, yes, precipice. We're on the edge. Six feet from the edge. Okay. For real, though. Oh, yeah. All I was just saying was I have felt very, very positive and confident that we are going to see some man change on this show. And it didn't happen exactly how I thought it would. So I'm a little worried that Lane is going to get more Don Drapery. Before he hopefully becomes more good boy Lane again. He's definitely at risk of being seduced by this version of the male American dream. I wonder if this is somewhat of why his wife was like, we don't love New York. Possibly, but also well off uh, white brits not in the 60s especially not exactly known for being super open to new and different yeah yeah and it's interesting like like i probably should have mentioned this earlier but i'm just seeing it again in, in the notes now um when the comedian is is like doing like call outs and lane is shouting back he already says that he's divorced like he's already like with this seduction and this black hole of dawn, he's like already made that decision in his mind, at least for that night. Like that's the role he's going to play. Right. And it's like, that was just interesting to me. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. Uh, Cause I rewatched that earlier, earlier today for this. And I was surprised that he used that word. And like, he even like goes back to, cause he talks about at the dinner scene about how Don reminds him of someone that he knew in school, again, very British, who, like, the guy didn't realize what everyone thought of him and how they followed him around everywhere, and he was just, like, cool guy, and then died tragically in a motorcycle accident. 
So, like, that stood out to me the second time I rewatched the episode. Especially as we talked about this black hole stuff. Um, but, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, that has a lot going for us and Don is obviously on a very healthy path uh, after news about Anna yeah. Oh. Yeah. bits and bobs bits and bobs bits and bobs alright so the kaiju movie that Lane and Don go to see is Gamera the giant monster and actually it appears in Mad Men anachronistically this episode as we know takes place on New Year's 1965 and the epi- and Gamera the giant monster was not released in Japan until 1965 so later the next year because it were New Year's 1964 and didn't come to the United States until 1966 so Mad Men tries to be as uh, precise as it can with its anachronism so I always like to call out when it is anachronistic hmm. why do you think they made that choice to yeah you to, know I, why they absolutely had to ha- use this movie I don't know if it was this movie specifically I wonder if it was easier to license the clip hmm True. Like something like that, like something kind of practical like that, because we talked about before how the typewriters they used were too new because that's all they could find. And like these ones aren't necessarily, I think, as egregious or interesting as um, was it in season two where we have the episode Maiden Form or is that season one? I can never remember. I think it's season two. Um, but you have that montage of the women in the cast in their bras while the Infanta by the Decemberist plays, which like came out like in 2009 as a song so like it would have been very like it's thematically i get how it works um and like it was a very like 2009 thing to kind of like do a television with pop songs and things like that but it's just that's probably the largest anachronism that i remember in Mad Men. like these other ones are fun little nit fun little facts to to pick out but you know it's pro- i would say probably because licensing godzilla was too expensive Hmm. Um, I just wanted to point out uh, the corny old song that Stephanie picked to play at the bar to dan- and dance to with Don was Patty Page's Old Cape Cod. Uh, that is not a song I am particularly familiar with, but as someone who is in their 30s as opposed to having been born in the 30s, I have a weird working knowledge of Patty Page. I love her. I love her a lot. Um, she... <laughs> is definitely an old people singer by the time Stephanie comes along. Uh, and she had a lot of songs like the Tennessee Waltz, You Belong to Me, Cross Over the, Over the Bridge, which I thought was notable because there's a, a verse that says something like, if you have built a boat to take you to the greener side, and if that boat is built of every lie you've ever lied, you'll never reach the promised land of love, I guarantee, because lies cannot hold water and you'll sink into the sea. Dawn Draper. Um, and also, how much is that dog in the window? Anyways... <laughs> Patty Page, she's pretty good. I literally was listening to Tennessee Waltz this afternoon. Aww. Um, Bring that Patty Page. Yeah. Yeah, Mad Men. Interesting episode. A lot of throwbacks for yeah. a throwback show. Yeah, yeah. And we're definitely, like, because we're kind of getting the, the, the picture and how we, they, like, structure the season. So now it's like we're kind of, we're setting up the pieces. I think the, mm-hmm. the, the chessboard is set, so we'll see see what happens next oh yeah i'm excited and like a little anxious 
Yeah, I agree. I'm excited too, and I'm glad that Matt reminded me that this is his favorite season. Yeah. Because that gets me excited all over again. Well, great. Um, I'm looking forward to the next episode too, guys. Yeah. Um, so, until next time, where can we find you guys? Melissa? You can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow or co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast. We recently talked about the horror movie St. Maud, and we did a little Ooh. question and answer session on an episode that should be coming out soon as well. Matt? Great. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at at Mattyhue, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also catch me and friend of the pod, Elise, talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine over at the Pod Race Podcast. Awesome. You guys can find me on Instagram at Pop Artery. You can also listen to my other podcast, The Daily Nightly, spelled with a K, where we talk Jane Austen, all things Jane Austen, so much Jane Austen, and just more books. What do you think of um, the Dakota Johnson casting? I'm very excited for it. I'm a little confused about the costuming, but Henry Golden looks excellent as usual. There we go. Everyone looks excellent as usual. There we go. So, yes, very excited for that. Um, and you can email us uh, about Mad Men at stillgreatbob at gmail.com. You can find us on stillgreatbob on Twitter. Please rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice and thank you to the forever awesome dj empirical for our theme because we love it yeah Editors note, this is where we're going to drop in Elizabeth Moss in something, or in her smell, singing Control. Slipping out of what you pain, I shake at the thought of you. Anyone could shift the blame, I'm the root, the cause of you. I don't think I...